Hesedim is a series of reflection, usually reflecting on an issue in the society in the light of the words of scripture. You're welcome to join us each time and to send your questions or comments by way of a voice note. Look forward to hearing you and speaking with you. I'm speaking to you today about ending inequality. This is the mood point all over the world in the wake of certain recent events, both the global pandemic and certain atrocities committed by law enforcement in the USA, among other things, have put the subject of ending inequality at the top of the table. Only Matthew of the four gospels tells this parable of the workers in the vineyard. It is a parable about a rich landowner who sought to employ workers to work in his vineyard on a given day. He employed five batches of workers. The first he had at about 6 a.m. and agreed to pay them one denarius for the day's work. Then he had another set at nine, another at 12, and still another at three in the afternoon. And finally had the last set at 5 p.m., one hour before the close of business. Then the parable says that the foreman called together the workers for their pay. He paid the ones had last at five o'clock first and gave them one denarius each. And then each of the other batches of workers was paid. When the ones that were had first at six in the morning collected their pay, which was the one denarius they had agreed, they demanded, those who were had last worked only one hour. You have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. In response to which the vineyard owner and employer said, take your pay and go. If I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you, don't I have a right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? In order to understand the full significance of the use being made of this parable about the workers in the vineyard and their employer by Matthew, you have to read the parable in the light of the stories which preceded the parable and the story that followed it in the gospel. The parable is preceded by the account of the so-called rich young ruler to whom Jesus said, one thing you lack, sell all you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. And the richer man went away very sad. The disciples of Jesus used the opportunity to raise the question about the validity and viability of the cause of Christ, which promotes human equality and says that the first shall be last and the last first. This matter is picked up by Matthew in the story that follows the parable. In that story, the mother of James and John, who were both disciples of Jesus, requests that Jesus appoints her two sons to sit one on his right hand and the other on his left hand when he comes into his kingdom. The request creates enormous consternation and controversy among Jesus' disciples. 
in response to which Jesus cites the value of servanthood and humility. The last shall be first, and the first last. At issue is a conversation about entrenched and inherited inequality in the world, and whether or not the Christian faith can do anything more than do anything but more of the same and operating on the same values and seeking the same things that the world does. Implied in the conversation is a suggestion that social hierarchy and social stratification are essential features of life as it is now ordered. No one expects power to yield anything or wealth to surrender its advantage and it is preposterous to expect anything else. Furthermore, the question raised by the disciples about their own vulnerability and the unpromising nature of a life of sacrifice. What about us, they asked. We have left everything. And then thirdly, the story of the mother's request illustrates a matter of ego and notions of successfulness. The mother wants her sons not merely to be in Jesus's kingdom, but to occupy pride of place, to be primus inter pares, first among equals. So are notions of equality viable when no one appears to want social equality? Put another way, people want to be equal to others, but they do not want others to be equal with them. They must be a cut above the rest. They must be put on a pedestal. This is what they see as the elixir of life. This is the incentive for life. So how viable is the project of ending human inequality in the world? And is there a role that the gospel can play in that project of ending human inequality in the world? We have seen protests all over the world and hashtags and demand. But if we are going to challenge the fundamental inequality in the world and the systems of oppression and discrimination, including racism, classism, and sexism, what are some of the things that we can do and work with in this regard? This parable of the workers in the vineyard is a counter-narrative, another way of seeing and doing things instead of how things are viewed or done by the dominant thinking and the dominant culture in the world. It mm. offers two big ideas for us to work on and to work with. But both ideas are predicated on human generosity of spirit. The tyranny of self-interest and vested interest will need to be broken in order to get very far with these ideas. It will only work if the example of Jesus, as exemplified in the parable, is emulated. Jesus presents the landowner as a person untethered to his own wealth. He could use his wealth to treat his workers fairly and to take into account not just what was due to them as workers, but more so what they needed as human beings. He could use his wealth to be just, and he could use his wealth to secure the interest of others. In the story, the landowner sought to give a chance to other human beings who were standing around entire day because no one gave them any work. 
And despite how limited the opportunity to work was, their need to eat that day does not go away and is not diminished. The landowner put himself in their position. His generosity was not extravagant or wasteful. It was targeted and responsive to the demands for the protection of their dignity and the affirmation of their humanity in the situation. What we can advocate are policies which will result in programs, but the effectiveness of the policies and programs need to be buttressed by a generosity of spirit by which we are possessed. In fact, if there is no if there is one disappointment about the face of the modern church and the modern exponents of the Christian gospel, it is that they have not changed the balance of generosity in the world. Far too many of us, as people of faith, are tethered to our own material possession and dominated to our ego needs, dominated by our ego needs and self-interest. The generosity of the landowner lays down the gauntlet. It challenges how things are in the world of predatory capitalism that seeks nothing else but the bottom line, the profit and has no time to protect the dignity of the worker. So here are the two ideas. The first idea is of a just wage. I would like to suggest that there are three principles involved that are essential benchmarks of a judge just wage. First is agreement. The worker is a partner in the economic enterprise. In this mm -hmm. regard, the standard is set in the first set of workers to be paid the agreed rate of a day's wage, one denarius. The second is appropriateness. It must be must not be less than the value to be assigned to the effort and capacity of the worker. And the third is adequacy. It is important that the workers be bargained with. He's not chattel, she's a human being. The full humanity of the worker must always be accounted for, but adequacy of the pay must be objectively verifiable. In the Bible, a benchmark for minimum payable wage is set by the application of the Sabbath principle. Sabbath meant that the worker could be employed for six days per week. It was required that the worker be given a day off. However, it is expected that his six days of work ought to be able to feed the worker for a seventh day when he's not employed. So a just wage is one in which the worker must be able to maintain his household for one or two days per week beyond the five or six days for which he she is employed. Inequality has been deepened by unjust and unfair wages. In fact, that black people in the world, in the diaspora, have been set back by the 300 years they were denied a just wage or any wage at all. Western societies have built their wealth on the backs of black people whom they have not paid. The owning class nowadays, nowadays pays workers a surplus of the labor market allows them to pay. They do not pay what is required to sustain lives and to keep the dignity of the worker intact. 
the pathway towards ending inequality must include emoluments that sustain their lives and are worthy of, worthy of the dignity of the worker. The second idea that will become increasingly moot in our world is the idea of a universal basic income. The idea had been introduced before because of the development of artificial intelligence. It was being suggested that there are many of the tasks being performed manually and by clerical employees that can and will be performed by artificial intelligence. Tasks like telephone operating, for, uh, for example, have been in many places rendered obsolete, like the typewriter. Other tasks, such as driving trucks, will be performed by robots. In that context, in order for human beings not to be reduced to become merely creatures of leisure, discussions were being held about stimulating work and paying persons a universal basic income. That idea has rolled to the front of the room because of the COVID pandemic. During COVID, large sections of the economy were closed down and governments had to find ways to give people who could not work an income. The natural disaster have, disasters have raised the issue of the development of such a mechan mechanism. However, it is being proved that lockdowns may last longer than first thought necessary. Europe, with systems of social welfare, has fared better than places like the United States of America, which has a limited notion of leave and social welfare. This is the idea exemplified by the landowner who goes out several times a day and found an excuse to give person a wage for the day so that they could eat. In other words, introducing the idea of a universal basic income. Nevertheless, we would need to deal with the objection of the workers who, was workers who were hired at six in the morning. You have made, us, made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. The worker is not here complaining about his pay. He is complaining about the, the other man is paid. If pressed, he would agree that both the employed and the underemployed have the same need to eat, have the same right to the dignity of work, have the same demand for opportunities to participate in the economy. If they have the same need, why should they not be assured of a basic minimum access to the protection of their welfare and their dignity. Next, we will explore how to make human, human equality a value that all preserve and all pursue. Hey, Garnet. Morning, Anna, your man. I have a particular peculiar interest in equality and obviously it's converse inequality and um, I believe that Jamaica through the work of former Prime Minister Michael Manley has a peculiar contribution to make to our understanding of equality that is strongly rooted in a notion of the human person 
as being of equal worth and value and therefore to be treated equally, which sometimes means that there is the need for difference in treatment in order to ensure that um, all are equal. And then, you know, there's the whole concern with the provision of equality of opportunity and so on. So those ways of giving expression to the innate and inherent equality of all human beings are powerful um, ways of understanding the person that find themselves easily mouthed, you know, but really not lived. And the prime example that always stands out in my mind is the US and the out of many one and believing that all men are created equal and so on in a context of straight out enslavement and gender disenfranchisement, discrimination and inequality. And I thank you for bringing up and reflecting deeply. I, I really do like the, um, the way that you've dug deep into the scriptures and come up with or helped us to see that the scripture can and does speak to something called a living wage, which you know is one of those concepts that the Catholic Church has always been pushing as part of an understanding of how it is that we have to give expression to the value of each person in a context where all of us are called to live and to live in ways that are, are open to flourishing, you know, but also to preserve the dignity of the human person. And um, the, the notion of the generosity of the landowner stands out very strongly for me very very strongly because we have a culture of bad mind you know and so in our context we bad mind the other person for their good fortune because someone is generous to them why we couldn't get that to our um but we're better than them you know and truthfully garnet in that story there is a significant logic at play there's there's a logic that um, can't be brushed aside because we do have ingrained in our way of looking at the world that uh, uh, th there should be, there, there's appropriate uh, reward for certain kinds of activity, the whole notion of merit and so on. So if X is for 10 hours, then Y would be for three hours. And it's just a natural, normal logic. It's about um, reward of effort and all that. So you can see how the logic of it makes sense. And what uh, Jesus is proposing in that um, parable is illogical. It's calling for a certain kind of reversal, a certain kind of reworking of our capitalist understanding of, of the world is calling for us to check ourselves against a certain kind of bad-mindedness because we didn't get it, why should they? But then we forget the fact that uh, that generosity that is displayed to the person that only worked for the last couple of hours yet can walk away with sufficient to take care of his family, her family for that day. And I think her immediately in our context, because I'm thinking about women like my mother who would have been uh, domestic helpers or ancillary workers or janitors and so on, who are daily paid and who are the ones that are in a large way 
at risk during the pandemic because they have to go out to work to earn their daily bread. Daily bread is, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's very um, significant, the, the use of those, that particular phrase, daily bread. And, and, and we pray for it all the time in, in our, what we call the Lord's Prayer and so on. So th- there's something that's going on there where we forget that the possibility exists for us to benefit in the same way that those who work only for two or three hours but earn sufficient to live for that night and that or being open and willing to that kind of justice redounds to our benefit as well. But we forget, you know, we always believe that we're always going to be on top and always going to be in spaces where things are going to work out as equally as we'd like it. So we go with this procedural way. This is the agreement and we, that agreement must be fulfilled. Well, procedurally, he did do the right thing. He had the same agreement with um, the one from six o'clock, the same agreement, the one for 12, the same agreement with the one for three. You know, so procedurally he did nothing wrong. But in our heart of hearts, when we look at it in terms of how we frame justice, you can see the discomfort that is at play. So I'm, I'm really taken, and, and, and I like that you, you made a, a mention of the um, whole thing about we, we don't want anybody to be more equal than us, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing my own way. We want to be equal to someone else, but we don't want anybody else to be more equal than us. And so we certainly don't want to be at the bottom of any uh, barrel. But we, we want to maintain um, some kind of position of prestige. And we do find that our human societies are structured in a way where we're always going to be finding ways to divide among ourselves and to put some of us on a pedestal and some of us on at, as the, the, the foot of the pedestal or perhaps the pedestal itself. You know, this week I was listening to an interview with Jane Elliott. You might remember her, this uh, Irish-American woman who did this experiment between blue-eyed children and black-eyed children and how one day the blue-eyed children were better than the um, black the brown-eyed children and how the blue-eyed children behaved towards them and how the, they accepted their role and they, they misbehaved and they underperformed and then you reversed the roles and how even the children's behavior towards her changed when she was a part of the underclass group and so on, which was just absolutely fascinating. But what stood out in my mind is her insistence that we, there's, only, there's, there's only one race. There's only one race, the human race. So she wants us to get away from dividing ourselves according to black, white, pink, blue, or green, but to recognize the equality of our humanity. So that stands out for me. What I'd love to hear from you, because again, what we're doing is that we're rooting our understandings and our approaches in the scriptures, which form a significant part of the Christian faith and it guides and shapes and informs who we understand ourselves to be vis-a-vis that. There's a, there's a very troubling statement that has been put on the lips of Jesus in our Gospels. The statement that says, the poor will always be with you. You know, we will always have the poor with us, but you do, I think in one of the uh, iterations of it, the Son of Man you know, there's a whole statement about the Son of Man being with you for a short time. I might be conflating verses of scripture as a good Catholic. 
So as you do the reflection, continued reflection on equality, inequality, justice, injustice, the presence of humanity in this space, I'd love you to treat with that verse. Help us to understand how that verse is to be taken in a context where the poor seem to always be with us. There seems to be no end to those that are poor. And how are we to read that, given that it seems like an endorsement of a stratified society where there is the impossibility of justice in the form of a wage that's just our living wage so that all might live. The, the notion of this living wage ties in, in my mind, with the call to live lives of simplicity. And, you know, so we are called to live simply so that others might simply live. The concern is how you tie your simple living to others' ability to just be able to live. How can we delve into that so that we can show ourselves and others concretely the connection between the choices that we make, the way we stratify and shape our society, the way we misshape and misunderstand each other such that others are not allowed to live while we live and we have surfeit, we have more than we need. Bless you as always and thank you. I look forward every Sunday to your words of reflection and, and, and your exhortation. Bless you. Anna, thanks again. I am trying to find your book, Justice and Equality. I think someone must have borrowed my copy and I'm gonna to need to read at least the preamble and introduction. Um, for my next week's sermon, so I might have to find you to borrow a copy. I don't know where mine is, you know. I'm going to move out now, so I will have to repack my book and I might find them. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think I'm going to do altogether about four messages on the subject of equality because it is moot and I need to lend my mind to it more thoroughly. I really want to talk about that personal worth and dignity, essential humanity kind of next Sunday, but I haven't worked it out yet. But the feedback is useful and helpful. I don't know how I'm going to get to that very troublesome verse there. Um, you know, I will always have to remember that Jesus was answering Judas and he was really trying to put him in his place. But I will get to it, I hope, you know. Um, but I, any, any, anything, can you first delve into the subject in your work and you may have some make some suggestions as to an angle. I think it, it is the kind of thing that others, you know, will peek to and will put their contribution. But I am troubled by the story of 500 years of black people being surf and chattel and inferior and the victims and the, you know, incarcerated and so on. I'm troubled by it and I'm wondering if the God who made all persons equal is also troubled by it and therefore what is the way in which I'm going to bring that to fore in the conversation. Thanks again for your comments. Greetings Rev, every blessing on you. Uh, praying for you in all your ministries. Lord continue to bless you. Another powerful word and especially 
the connectivity with the rich young ruler and the disciples and their mother wanting them to be first among equal. One of the thoughts that came to me is a particular pastoral colleague of ours who loved to talk about feeling first among equals, you know, and um, having been first among equals. And if he doesn't feel first among equals, he is not comfortable with pastor in that particular church. The other thing that came to mind though was the issue of perception and the power of perception because each of each person's perception becomes their reality. So even though they agreed to wanting areas for the day, which was the going rate as we understand it, they felt put out by the fact that others were given the same one denario. So they were not necessarily uncomfortable with the amount they got, but uncomfortable that others got equal to them. And that issue of, of perception is important because in as much as each person's perception is the reality, each person's perception of injustice or justice is also their reality. So what it does is that those persons who grow up with chip on their shoulder, low sense of self-esteem, self-projection, they will always feel undone and always feel as if the system is out to get them. You know, so there are those issues and I am particularly impressed with how you, you address the word you know, to, to deal with those various issues, you know. Uh, blessings on your rep. It also begs the question, Rev, as it relates to the importance of re-engineering the narrative and also the role of optics. Everything these days is about optics, you know, and how one frames the narrative so it speaks to that as well thank you very much philip i promise that i will take it to account what you have said when i come back to the subject in my next um podcast but yeah it's a it's a moot question and the question is would we recognize justice if it were done before our very eyes